We're in this series on the life of the Apostle Paul. So just do a quick little reset because I know we've got a lot of folks who maybe haven't been journeying in the series here today. Today we're at a stop with Paul in a city called Corinth. And he writes a letter called 1 Corinthians. And he does this church at the end of his three years in the city of Ephesus. The end of his time at the hall of Tyrannus. So those of you who've been on that journey, you know what all that means. And so he's been at Ephesus for three years. He's put a flag of the gospel in that city before he departs to the next stop. He wants to sit down and he wants to craft this letter to a church that he had planted three years prior in the city of Corinth. And so he writes a letter in your Bibles known as 1 Corinthians to this little group of believers that had planted the flag for the gospel three years ago through Paul's ministry in Corinth. And we're going to look today at two things from the first section. And I promise we're not going to be long, right? We're just going to be succinct because we got a big old party to celebrate what's all happened today. So we're going to have a plea for unity and we're going to have a call to remember the history, a plea and a call. So in your notes, a background on Corinth here. Here's a picture of where Corinth is at geographically. It was strategically located in a place where the ports, would, the trades would flow heavily. Trades for land and for sea, which made its population grow to about 80,000. I want you to think of Corinth as Las Vegas meets Miami. That's how I want you to think of it. So Vegas meets Miami. You got that image in your head? Yeah, some of you really have that image in your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so that's Corinth. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. Because what happened in Corinth was a lot of commerce flowed through there, attracted a lot of attention. They were very proud of their Romanatus, their Romanness, and they had a lot of temples built to the Roman pantheons. I listed a few in your notes, Aphrodite and Poseidon and Apollo, all these temples built to these Roman gods and goddesses. And it was always had a massive social imbalance here at Corinth. So here's what you need to know about Corinth. Like the population was made up, of, they said half of the population were slaves. And then a very small percentage were wealthy and the rest were very impoverished. So that's kind of the makeup of Corinth. Vegas meets Miami, specifically in some of the more difficult parts of those cities. Just picture that intersection. And then Paul comes into town, plants a flag of the gospel, gets the church of Jesus going there. Now here's in Corinthian, like the Corinthian culture was so strong and so dominant that if you spent much time in Corinth, you couldn't help but be affected. It's kind of like if you hang out in some of the larger cities in our country, you can't help but be impacted by the culture of that city. Well, that's what's happening in Corinth. And Paul's burden about the creeping in of the Corinthian culture upon this culture of the church in Jesus. And so he's burdened about it. Because if you notice that that's a temptation at times, you can get in a new family of Jesus and sometimes the culture that you're planted in can begin to infiltrate the culture of the church of Jesus. So Paul writes this letter burdened about how this group of Christians can reflect more of the kingdom of Jesus and less of the Roman Empire and the ways of Corinth. That's kind of the theme. It's kind of its Corinthian cultural moment and I think it intersects well with our cultural moment. Look at verse 10, chapter 1. Here's where we're going to begin. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united, underline that in your Bibles, in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow 
Christ. So here at the beginning section of the letter, you can deduce within the church at Corinth, there's these divisions, there's these fractions, there's these, there's these groups that have kind of been categorized and put together and drawn party lines, and they're just at each other. Before there were ever red states or blue states terminology, there were like these kinds of party lines drawn, Team Apollos, Team Cephas, Team Paul. And he's burdened about this. He's burdened about the polarizing. He's burdened about the labeling. There's cancel culture going on in Corinth. There's this fracturing and dividing of this young church. And as I put in your notes, so much so that the entire letter of 1 Corinthians is built around addressing divisions. I put it all in your notes, right? You see there, right? There's seven different divisions within the letter. Division over leaders, division over sexual ethic, division over litigation, division over marriage, over food, over corporate worship, over spiritual gifts. I like like what one pastor from England said. I put this in your notes as well. Andrew Wilson said, we divide because of pride. The root of factionalism is almost always self-importance and arrogance. So into this space, Paul issues a plea for unity. He calls the body of Christ to be united in heart and mind, to give up on the ways of Corinth and the ways of the Roman Empire, which only knew about dividing and party lines and fracturing and alliances and pointing the finger and writing people off. I mean, that's how they did it. Write them off, shout them down, point the finger. But that's how it went in Corinth and in Rome. It's a good thing we don't struggle with that today. Just imagine if we might have some challenges in our own cultural moment about dividing, about alliances, about categorizing, about fracturing what used to be what Paul would say there's a different way. It's called the way of Jesus. One writer I read around this section, we were, uh, he was talking about, he was asking the body of Christ to reflect on what if we shifted the metaphor and the narrative from culture wars today to culture care. Could you imagine, church, what this might be? Think about this. What if we had less language from, what if we moved it from battle to garden? What if we moved our energies from, instead of like launching verbal missiles at one another, what if we made the energy to cultivate and plant unity and humility and treating people with dignity and respect who see others differently, to stay grounded in our Christian worldview, to have our roots strong enough and deep enough that we don't give up on the position of what it means to be in Christ, to stand on His Word, but then to understand that others are in a different place on a number of different matters. And instead of looking at that in the war battle metaphor, what if we looked at it in a garden and planting, cultivating care metaphor. I think it's a good word. I think it's a call to the church today to be a call to, hey, let's talk about culture care moment that we're in. I love what Andy Stanley, he's a pastor down in Atlanta. He wrote this paragraph. Follow me here. I love my country, Andy says, deeply, but when I die, I won't go to Washington, D.C. Neither will you, and neither will your neighbors or their kids. The issue is not patriotism. The issue is priority. I'm advocating, hear this, for one nation under God. God first, nation second. Our ultimate allegiance is to a king who came to reverse the order of things. The king who, rather than requiring his subjects to die for him, died for them instead. That's a better king. And our uncompromising devotion to our better king will ultimately make America a better nation. 
Church, that's the call to unity that I want to issue with Paul today. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not issuing this call to unity for our own local because we've got a bunch of issues going on here. I'm doing this because of the cultural moment that we're living in, because I think we're like Corinth in many ways. I think we've got division and party lines and fracturing and categorizing and polarizing and name-calling, all in the name of Jesus within the family of Jesus. And that doesn't just show up online, it also shows up verbally in relationships. And there's a different way, there's a better way. It's called the way of Jesus. It's called looking each other like Andy Stanley said. We're one nation under God. Our allegiance is to a king of kings and a lord of lords beyond red or blue or any other party lines you draw. And we've got to have the level of respect and kindness and thoughtfulness toward one another who see things differently without giving up our square, our groundedness in a Christ-centered worldview. That's our cultural moment. And that's why I'm calling us with Paul in chapter 1 to a plea today, a plea for unity in the body of Christ. And young people, I cannot think of a more important cultural moment that you are growing up in right here. Young people, you have an opportunity to help lead the way in what it means to be united in heart and mind and spirit, even when you're with others who see and view things differently. There is a way to do it, to stay grounded in Christ and yet navigate with, I think, a better metaphor, culture care versus culture war, to move it from battle to garden, to move it from plant. What if we put energy in planting and cultivating unity? which is going to require humility and patience and thoughtfulness to do that with a groundedness in Christ's truth. I think that's our cultural moment, church. And that's why Paul says in verse 13, this is what he's getting at, I think. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were all these folks up here baptized in different names and different party lines and different divisions in our own country? No, they were baptized in one name, in Jesus only, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ crucified, buried, raised. That's our identity. That's our unity. That's what we can be grounded in. Regardless of where we view different matters today, I think it's a call for one nation today under God, under His kingship. We're going to build on that with a call now to remember our history. Look at where he goes now, verse 18 and following. Here's the message translation, Eugene Peterson's translation of verse 18 and 19. Here's what he says. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction, but for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully as it turns out. It's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. Can you picture that letter circulating through Corinth? through Vegas meets Miami culture, through a Roman empire that's convinced they're right, they've got it all figured out. And Paul says, actually, the Bible is calling the way you're building your life foolishness. It's a house of cards. It's built on sand. There's another way to go. It's called the way of Jesus. And so he calls the church to remember, remember. And man, there's not a better day to remember than a baptism day, to remember that Christ died for you, that he was crucified for you, to remember that Jesus, who was innocent, who was sin-free, he went to the cross and he gave his life that we might find life, that he paid the price and made a way when there seemed to be no way, just like the song we were singing. 
And remember that what the Romans and the Jews thought, they got the last word when they killed him. They thought dead people remained dead. They hadn't met Jesus of Nazareth yet because he rolls the stone away and he walks out. It's like, oh, that, that wasn't in their plans. Jesus walks out of the grave and moves his mission forward in this world. He says, remember, remember. And today we get to remember through these 11 lives, watching them go in the waters, reading their cardboard testimonies, seeing their faces. Did you feel what I felt in some of those hugs today? There's so much in those embrace around the tank. When you see a mom or a dad or a grandma, grandpa holding that young person in those waters of baptism, there's so much there. And Paul says, remember, the core of the remember is this, that you're not crazy for saying yes to Jesus. In this culture, like Corinth, that was increasingly pointing at this church of Jesus and go, you're a bunch of crazies doing that, joining that Jesus train. Young people, you're not crazy for saying yes to Jesus. You're wise. You're right. You're building your life on the truth. This is the way, the truth, and the life. You're doing it God's way. You're doing it Jesus' way. You just keep saying yes to Him. That's what we have to remember. And today as a church family, we stand with these 11 and we say, we remember this day. We're going to remember August 2022. We were eyewitnesses, and this is our responsibility as a church family and extended family around these 11. Here's our responsibility, that when life hits, as life will hit, it's going to get hard. There are going to be ups and downs on the journey. And students, here's what you're going to remember. All of you who went into the waters, our commitment is we will bring you back and remind you of this day and this moment when you stood before your friends and family and you stood before God and you got in the waters of baptism and you said yes to Jesus. That's what we're to do. You said yes to him and you keep saying yes to him. And this is the call. This is the call from Paul to remember. Andrew Wilson in his book said it this way, the cross, a stark symbol that was supposed to mean Roma victor, victory of Rome, has come to mean Christus victor. Follow this now. Those the ancient world regarded as heroes have become villains and the crucified criminal has become the most admired and worshiped figure in history. So church, the gospel and the cross is going to be placed increasingly in the category of foolishness by the culture of Corinth and by our culture, cultural moment today in the ways of this world. But to those who embrace it, like the 11 today, and many of you who have said yes to Jesus in your own journey, those who step into the kingdom of God, it's like water in the desert. It's like manna to a hungry soul. It's life. It's hope. It's wisdom. It's healing. In the language of the Bible, it's salvation the cross, and the gospel. We just keep saying yes to it. In a cultural moment where the accusation might be, you're kind of foolish to keep saying yes to Jesus that way. No, you're not foolish. Actually, the Bible says you're wise. Paul says you're building your life on the truth, on the rock. You're making a way when there seems to be no way. You're choosing team Jesus, and you'll never be sorry for choosing team Jesus. And Paul says, remember, remember, remember. So church today is a plea for unity. It's a plea for unity. I want to ask us, worship team, you can come on back up. We're going to wrap up with a final song here. In the plea for unity, here's what I want to ask us to reflect on this week. Where in our own spaces can we cultivate and plant unity and humility but staying grounded in the truth? Where can we do that? In your own space. Students in your classrooms or in your locker rooms parents, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your family units, where can you cultivate unity and humility and staying grounded in your Christ-centered worldview doing so? Where can we begin to maybe lay down our verbal missiles and point to things like 
planting beautiful things in a day and age, in a moment, in our culture that I think the body of Christ has an opportunity to display there is another way. It doesn't have to be division. It doesn't have to be fracturing. It doesn't have to be party lines. It doesn't have to be shouting others down and pointing the finger and shifting. It doesn't have to be that way. The pull in the culture and the pull of sinful nature will take us that way, but Paul says there's another way. It's the way of Jesus, and the body of Christ has a cultural moment. I think we have a moment here. And so I'm asking us, Eagle Church, to double down on our efforts to plant and cultivate unity with humility grounded in the truth of Jesus. And then secondly, I want to ask you to say yes, like what these 11 did today. I just want you to say yes to Jesus today. Whatever, wherever the Lord's brought you in here today, maybe you're just here to support those who were in the tank and you feel like through the songs or through what you witnessed or through this word here in 1 Corinthians, like, hey, God's speaking to your heart. You just, what's your next yes to Jesus remembering all he's done for you? His broken body, his shed blood, his sacrifice, what he's done for you. If it's been a while since you said yes to Jesus, how about say today? You know what? Today you're going to work this muscle. You're going to say yes, whatever that next step is. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this moment today. Thank you that we could gather on this Sunday to witness what we witnessed, a declaration of your beautiful gospel, that you make all things new. And God, we need help by the power of your spirit. Just pray for our nation that this would be a time for the body of Christ to issue the clarion call of one nation under God. May the body of Christ lead the way in cultivating and planting unity with humility grounded in truth. Would you help us to do that? Would you give us grace? Some of us are in some really difficult relational settings, in some tough settings in corporate America or in classrooms or at schools. Lord, just give us grace. Give us wisdom to move out with the spirit that Paul charges us with here in 1 Corinthians, to be united in one heart and mind with one another in the body. Would you bless Eagle Church with a tremendous sense of unity in the spirit and oneness of heart together in Jesus? Would that just be a, a beacon of light in this day and age that we're living? I pray for that. And then, Lord, I just want to give all those here or someone listening online What's your yes to Jesus today? Maybe your yes to Jesus is you've never said yes to him for salvation, and you can say it today. You can say, you know what? Maybe you've known all about him. Maybe you grew up around the church. Maybe you witnessed a ton of baptisms in your life, but today it gets personal. You can say yes to Jesus today. And all you have to do is just right now confess with your mouth, say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you died on a cross and rose from the dead, and I give my life to do. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. That's all you can do. You can just pray that right. Just Jesus, save me. I give my life wholeheartedly to you. I just say yes to you. Forgive me, lead me, guide my life. I want to live for you. And then maybe for some others here today, it's a, it's a returning moment. Like you, you remember when you said yes to Jesus, perhaps years ago, and you've been distracted, you've been caught up in a lot of things and drifted a long ways away. And you know what? Today can be just a turning around and coming back. You just work the muscle. When you've been away, here's the muscle you work. Come back. Just say yes on the comeback. Just say yes. Say, Lord, I'm coming back. I'm going to say yes to you. That's your step today. Or maybe some others, it's, it's saying yes to the step of baptism. You witness today and you go, you know, you realize it's time for that. And you say, yes, Lord. The next time we do baptisms together, say, yes, I'm going to be in the waters. I'm going to do it. Or wherever your step of obedience, where is the Spirit saying right now, just say yes. 
It could be just a step of obedience, stepping out, being a light, stepping into a ministry, caring for loved ones around, praying, being in your word. What is the yes? Right now in your heart, just say yes. And so, Father, today, we just commit this plea for unity and this call to remember. We commit it unto you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.